And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. It invites the audience, the viewers, emotional involvement. It encourages us to feel. It's an example of entertainment elevated to art. You see, Star Wars was meant to be a simple hero's journey, a fantasy for young people. And then John wrote the music, and he raised it to a level of art, popular art that would stand the test of time. What I'm trying to say is, you made my life so easy. This is what I really want to show you, with rough audio and bad focus, because you will hear and you will see the very moment that John waves his baton and creates movie magic. Two, two, Welcome to Two True Freak Grandpas with Broken Backs. Well, right? <laughs> just me. Scott's just got a broken spirit. <laughs> but I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with Scott Garner. Hello. And uh, the planets have lined up. So uh, we are on Skype together <laughs> and talking. How about that? This is... <laughs> <laughs> Just in time for the Christmas season, you're getting a Two True Freaks episode. Woohoo! Merry Christmas. And this all this all got what start. What What's that? Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? Oh Jesus! <laughs> what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> I don't want to offend any of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Let 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 their imaginations run wild on what old Chris would want for <laughs> the holidays. <laughs> what do you want for Christmas? I'm sure you got some specific. Uh... Oh yeah, same same thing as always. I got a list of books. Always chase the books. I've got beyond a book. that. That's about it. I've got a book problem. I've... I need to get more bookshelves, but like, get, give me ten minutes and I could get a good book list up for for sure for for um for Christmas. <laughs> but this this it wasn't really Christmassy stuff that got this started. I don't want to fool anybody into thinking this is going to be a Christmas episode. If it was, we'd be start we'd be winging off celebrity names right now. But uh. Um, Speaking of Christmas, though, before we go too much further, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this on the air, as it were, so that hopefully it, it lights a further fire under me. But Logan was actually talking a while back. He he does something. He's got a YouTube channel. I'm not sure what exactly he does on it. He he does some stuff with some friends, some gaming stuff. I, I won't profess to understand all of what they're you know they're right. up to, whatever, but. He's he's gotten into doing like video editing and video compression and all that sort of thing, and I just happened to casually mention to him recently about he, he was asking me something about um one of the old Christmas specials that you and I had done a while ago, 
and it spawned, you know, spurred a whole conversation. And at one point, I got to talking to him about, you know, how much I really wish that we had had the ability to sync up uh, some of those old Christmas special commentaries that we did with the videos. He's like, oh, I can do that. I'm like, really? And so we were talking about it. Oh, and, you should and be able to like, do that pretty you know, easily, yeah. Yeah, that's what you're saying, how easy it was and everything. So I'm going to keep after him about that. And I would love if time for this Christmas, we could get at, at the very least, I would like to get our commentary that we did back in the day of Rudolph with the video, you know, all synced up and everything. Because I still maintain that's just about the funniest damn thing we ever recorded. I think that was hysterical. And I do sit down and watch it every Christmas because I, I just roll. It's. Really oh, with funny. the commentary on it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I have you know, to listen just... to that again. I post it every year, but I never have time to listen to all the cuz like every it's only Halloween and Christmas that I go like back through our archives and and grab all the specials and like just right. re-release them. But in Halloween, we got a lot of Halloween content, but boy when Christmas time comes, I just start putting up Christmas content and then I just keep as as I'm posting one up I'm like oh wait there's three more that I forgot all about and oh <laughs> there's the one that Hero did and oh here's the one that you know that Brian Hughes did and it's just like on and on and on so that's you guys got that coming this month well there's um, that, that one that I'm thinking of the one where we did Rudolph we did three of them in one show we did Rudolph we did that god awful one with the mice which is actually really funny, despite that being such a horrible special. That's Our commentary why. for it was hysterical. Kerplunk. And then, what was the other Kerplui. one? Yeah. What was the other one that we did? We did three of them. I don't remember it, what the other one was. It wasn't Charlie Brown, was it? It might have been Charlie Brown. I was thinking we'd already done it, but no, I think we just did one where we, we, we like, just parodied did that it. We par- just that horrible parody where Charlie yeah. Brown shoots up everybody. <laughs> when Charlie Brown finally like has enough snaps yep the football gets pulled out one too many times oh and uh I saw something I've, I've been seeing it on Facebook actually all day today and it really pissed me off well, you know how, how much it irritates me when when I come up with something or more especially when we came up with something on Two True Freaks that becomes a thing but then it becomes a thing in the in the mainstream, and we get absolutely no damn credit for it whatsoever. Yeah, that's you know, case in being point ahead of your time. I'm the one that came up with Superman throwing shit into the sun, and for a time that was everywhere. It even made it into like like sitcoms and stuff, and it really pissed me off because I'm the one that came up with that. Well, I know that you and I are the ones that came up with watching Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. And noting the fact that all the white kids sit on one side of the table, and poor what's his name Franklin, yeah, he sits all by himself. And we're sitting, we're watching this, going, "Wait, what the fuck?" You know, but in a jokey kind of way. And now all of a sudden, this is an actual thing that's making like the nightly news. And I'm like, "What? What? I mean, this was this. We we came up with that." <laughs> like. But not in a serious way, just as kind of pointing it out, like, how did that make it past the, you know, the quality? Why did nobody look at that and go, 
oh, we really shouldn't do that. And now all of a sudden it's it's like a, a nationally it's a thing to where they're trying to get like the, the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, a staple of the holiday, which doesn't have enough specials to begin with, pulled off the air for racism now. And I'm like, huh? So I don't know. Well, that's funny you know because, I mean? like, Charlie Brown was always, like, I mean, that those were in the, like, like late 60s, early 70s that those all got made, right? I, I believe. Yep. Yeah. So, so they were all in that time when, like, they were, like, on the cutting edge of being inclusive of trying to put, like, all different kinds of little kids in it. It was a sort of Peanuts thing. So it's just funny that it's just how quickly well, culture... Here's the thing with that, you know, is that before you get all up in arms, go, oh, my God, look how racist they're being. You need to check yourself. You need to look back and go, rather than get all bent out of shape in a seriously pissed off sense, because when we pointed it out, we were pointing it out in a jokey manner, like, like, a, like, oh, my gosh, can you can you believe that, you know, that they did it like this? But I know damn well they didn't do it in a racist way. Right. And here's my evidence for that. There's a black kid in it. Think about right. that for a second. Right. It's the same thing as like Star Trek. I'm sure we could find some old episode of Star Trek where something happened to Uhura that you could look at and go, oh my God, that's the most racist thing I've ever seen. Racist or but sexist or something. She's there. A black woman in a position of authority on the bridge of the fucking ship at a time that that didn't happen on television. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. A year before that, you wouldn't have seen that at all. And the same with the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Before that, exactly. you wouldn't you wouldn't have seen it. But it was, you know, that was actually like him being in that was a sign of the changing times at the time. Exactly. So yeah. you know, I mean, if you're gonna get if you're gonna get like fiddly about it, like if you're a parent. This is, I mean, not that I'm going to give anybody parenting instructions, but my thinking on that is if you if if like say you're watching it and your kids go, why is Franklin sitting on the other side of the table and everybody else is on one side of the table, then you get a chance to sort of give them a little context of like what it was like when, uh, you know, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving came out and you can say, and now it's different now and that you can learn something, you know, and learn something about how our culture changes you know instead of just like pretending that everything from the past is getting made today and put out it's just like right you know yeah that is a horrible thing in that movie but they didn't think you know every james bond movie is like just like when you watch it today these days you go like well james bond wasn't uh greatest guy to women (laughs) but but it was that was part of the time you know part of the time and and it might have even been a little progressive at the time when when it came out or whatever i don't know people people like to get mad they sure like to get mad yeah i know right about stupid shit (laughs) anyway what are we talking about (laughs) well it's it's I'll, I'll sort of I'll sort of say how this got started is just I've been thinking a lot about John Williams I have I've been at work and I have um, I have a tablet that's actually in, in getting worked on right now but I had a big file you know a folder full of all different you know hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of music and I mix it up between 
you know, rock rock music, weirdo music that I like that, you know, or what of whatever <laughs> brand and soundtrack music of all kinds. I've got like all different kinds of soundtracks on there from like more electronic -y stuff to like Clockwork Orange to, but I, I, I'd had Empire on there for the longest time and I sort of got sick of listening to Empire over and over again. And I don't think the version I got was one of the better versions of Empire anyway, like recording-wise either or anything. But then I just threw The Last Jedi on there. And I wasn't digging it at first. And then I started when it would just, when I put it on random and The Last Jedi song or would come on, I would, uh, I, I just started getting really into it. And, and then, um... I saw it was a Scott Rifen posted and a couple other people posted. There was a little piece of um, music that John Williams wrote for the new Disney park. And mm -hmm. I was listening to that. And then I, I was, um, and then for the, um, for, uh, I, I think the show that Hope and I did on solo on the, our review show of solo, uh, the soundtrack is by one guy, but it's got one John Williams track on it. Yeah, he wrote um, like the Adventures Han of Han Solo. Or, yeah, and uh, so it's and and I started listening to all that, and I just started thinking, man, what is going to happen to Star Wars when John Williams is gone? And then I just started thinking about how awesome John Williams is, and uh, I had recently seen a concert of this is this is a strange thing to associate it with the Who, and it was when they were like in their twenties or something. And I'm watching it and I'm like, you know, it used to be with a band. Like, when you heard The Who, you could pick out each individual player in the band, instrumentalist, and say, that's The Who, because I can identify that and that, and they'd have themes in the music and stuff. And that, that doesn't really happen anymore. Like, you'll have a band and there'll be, like, some person who's an amazing guitar player and singer in it, or somebody who's an amazing singer or something, and that's... And that's usually it. And then everybody else just sort of backs him up. And then I was just sort of thinking, John Williams is kind of like that. There's there's other sound. There's lots of other soundtrack composers that I can pick out and say, oh, that that sounds like a Hans Zimmer score, or, or whatever. But I, I I just there's there's something about John Williams' music that separates him from everybody else. Yes, and uh, and uh, I I just I, I I we just ended up on the phone. You were out shopping, I think, with the wife, and then I ended up getting on the phone to you and started talking about it. And that should that should be a show. Then we started then we started talking about like some of the stuff you've been finding lately of John Williams. Well, that's that's the thing is it was so what's the word serendipitous that that. You know, you contacted me with this idea because literally that very day that we talked and you were talking about, you know, how John Williams had been on your mind, you want to talk, you know, do a show talking about John Williams. I had just completed a project that I couldn't even tell you exactly where it popped into my head uh, other than, you know, when I'm at work, um, you know, for for what I do now at work is I, I essentially drive all day. And so when I don't have riders in my vehicle, when I don't have guests in my vehicle, 
I can pretty much listen to whatever I want to listen to. So I, I just listen to my music. And because of that, despite, you know, having a massive library, you know, as, as I imagine anybody does, after a while, you, you know, you're itching for new things. You know, you've listened to your favorite album for the 20 billionth time, and you're just looking for, for new things to listen to. So I'm always on the hunt for new music and everything. And part of it was inspired by the fact that lately I've gotten really lucky with uh, with scoring some really nice um you know, bootlegs and uh, and even some official like extended versions of, of classic John Williams scores and things like that. But somehow or other, I, I forget exactly what spurred it, but somehow or other I got to thinking, you know, despite the fact that I, I love this guy, I've listened to his music, you know, ever since I was a kid, I'm a huge fan. There are scores of his that I both don't have and have never listened to. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to fill in the gaps because it's, it's been one of those things where, and I imagine, you know, anybody that's into soundtracks like we are, it's, it's probably the same type of things. You know, when it comes to John Williams in particular, you know, everybody has the classics, you know, they have Jaws, they have Star Wars, they have Raiders, they have, you e. know, E.T. E. And, and all of those. But, you know, he's got so many more films, you know, or, you know, scores that he did, you know, got, you know, things like, you know, like the Witches of Eastwick and the River and Empire of the Sun and uh, Accidental Tourists and all these other movies. Part of it for me, and, you know, I, I don't know how other soundtrack collectors are, but part of it for me is that I have to care about the movie. Um, I, I very seldom in my score collecting life have I ever really gotten into a score separate from the movie. And so for a lot of these other movies that John Williams has done, they're, they're not in, you know, they're not something that appeals to me. Either it's not, you know, in the, in the sci-fi or adventure genre, like say, you know, Indiana Jones or Star Wars, or, or for whatever reason, it just, it doesn't grab me. So I, I never got into it, but I just got to thinking that, you know, just because I, I like the guy and I like the work that he does, wouldn't it be interesting whether I, I'm familiar with source material film or not to just do a complete listen through of his catalog of music you know starting from a particular point and so i had you know the the day that you and i were talking i had just completed uh my project as far as creating a playlist that runs initially what i was going to do is i was going to have it be jaws because that's kind of the give a shit starting point for john williams for me if you know what i mean and I was going to go I was going to jaws through whatever the most current score of his was. And then I got to thinking, well, I, I'm kind of curious. I, now, I had listened to a lot of pre-Jaws scores of his, but none, very few of them ever really jumped out to me as anything great. A, a lot of them I really didn't like at all. But I decided, all right, I'm going to go back one before Jaws, which was, uh, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, is either the Eager Sanction or the Iger Sanction, oh. I'm not sure. Um, a film I'd never seen. That's an action movie, right? And I knew it was an action film, and I know it has Clint Eastwood in it, but beyond that, I don't really know anything about it. And, but I know I had, I had never listened to it. So I went back to that one. And then while hunting that one, I discovered that there was a, uh, a really good supposedly complete release uh, had finally been put out, you know, like a good cleaned up release had been put out for um, The Towering Inferno, which is 
uh, a movie I'd always really liked as well, and that's the one that immediately precedes the Iger Sanction. So I went all the way back to Towering Inferno. Well, didn't uh, he do and like straight through. Poseidon? He did like three like Irwin yes. Allen like. Um, he did, yeah, he did. Uh, he did yeah, he did. Uh, he did Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, and Towering Inferno. Earthquake, that uh, was the one. Poseidon Adventure is pretty, pretty good. I don't have that one on my current playlist, but that one's not bad. That has some good stuff in it. Earthquake, I don't recall really liking any of Earthquake because it's just it's janky. You know what I mean? Which is how I would describe most of his pre-Jaws stuff. Is is pretty? It's just it's a victim of its time, if you know what I mean. And, well, yeah, and... it's not bad, but it's like it's it's very. Yeah, it's it's it, he's he's experimenting with different right. Things. Like, cause I was uh, what did I listen to last night? Just uh, for the hell of it, uh, Sugarland Express. You know, it's got harmonica in the main theme of it. You yes, know, and it, that's that's one I I really can't listen to. You know. Yeah, and it sounds um, like just a a nice sort of country theme, you know, or not not country, but maybe like Americana theme to it, but. He d- right. didn't have that. He hadn't formed his like find his his sound his yeah. sound, which is which goes all over the place. He does all his stuff doesn't sound good, but he has that ear for finding themes and to characters and to themes of the movie and making them part of part of the movie. You know. Well, and, something that that may not be readily apparent to someone who's not really into film scores is that these guys are you know, a really good composer has their own sound not all of them do but the best of them do john williams definitely has a sound you listen to a john williams score made after a particular time and i i generally speaking will arbitrarily point to 75 with jaws after Jaws, or actually starting with Jaws, just about everything he did after that has a distinct John Williams feel to it. And it feels different than a Jerry Goldsmith score, which also had a certain feel to it. And it feels different from, you know, you, you can name a whole lot of different composers. And I think this is what lends into where you were going with how hard he's going to be replace because you know it's it's probably easier for um i don't know i don't want to sound you know condescending saying this but for for the layman listener to to film scores think of it this way if you listen to a beatles song you can tell it's the beatles if you listen to a uh you know a rolling stone song you can tell and they don't sound the same right so this idea that you had hit home with me because there's been an example of what you're talking about very recently um, at Disney. So Jerry Goldsmith um, did the score to, and I'm trying to remember if you and I rode this when you were there or not, and I can't remember if we did, but there was an attraction called Soarin'. Oh, yeah. Which yeah, we a, did. Yeah. You remember Soren? Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's a hang glider attraction. You're riding a, a hang glider. In the original version, it was you were it was soaring over California. So it was different uh, places in California 
that you're hang gliding over all set to music. And it was a wonderful piece of music by Jerry Smith. In my opinion, one of the best things the guy ever wrote. I, I just, I love this. And I think the music made that attraction. It was a soaring piece of music. Yes. It was. Yeah, it was beautiful. So this has probably been, I don't know if it's been two years. I think it's probably been about two years ago now. Two, two, two years more or less ago. Um, they changed Soren out for uh, an updated film. They they filmed a completely new film. It's it's a much clearer print and everything. You go to new destinations, and and the new one is essentially Soren over the world, and all new destinations and everything. Well, when they announced this project way back when that they were that they were intent on changing Soren. I, I try not to be one of those purists that's, that panics and is like, oh, you know, they're changing something. But in this particular case, I did get really nervous because, of course, Jerry Goldsmith's dead. Right. So they couldn't bring him back to score the new attraction because he's not around anymore. So I got really concerned that we were going to lose a, a quintessential piece of this amazing attraction or the score. So they filmed the new movie and everything. And they wanted to preserve the feel of the original. And so what they decided to do is that they wanted to go with as much of the original music as they possibly could. So what they did was they brought in a, compu in a composer that would essentially use the same motifs, the same themes and everything, and give us essentially as much of the feel of the original one as possible without just rehashing the original one or, you know, using the original one and just, you know, it up. It's a completely new score, but using the motifs of the original, if you know what I mean. And it is a wonderful piece of music. It works very well in the film, but I can hear the difference. It's not Jerry Goldsmith, right? Because, well, not only is it not Jerry Goldsmith, but here's the issue is that the guy they brought in to do it is Bruce Broughton, an amazing composer in his own right. I love Bruce Broughton. I'm a big fan. I am not at all disparaging his work on this project. But the problem is, is that it would be like bringing in the Stones to write a new Beatles song. Right, right. It's just similar styles. You know what I mean? And again, that, you know, thousands of people a day ride this attraction, and to them, they probably never notice anything different or, or weird or anything, and, and they think it's just fine. But I recently saw, or maybe I heard it was one of my favorite podcasters. I, I think I heard him on an episode talking about this, and I was shocked to hear him say what I've been saying for a while now, which is, I can hear the difference. And what I'm hearing is essentially that you've got somebody doing, for all intents and purposes, a cover band version of somebody else's song. And if you're familiar with that band's style, then you can hear their style more than you can hear what it is that they're supposed to be tributing or, or homaging, if you know what I mean, if, if that analogy makes sense. Oh, sure. So I'm hearing the instead of hearing a new Jerry Goldsmith composition, I'm hearing Bruce Broughton's rendition of Jerry Goldsmith's song. And it's just, it's, it's kind of jarring and disconcerting because they're just very dissimilar styles. They have very distinct styles that don't necessarily mesh well. They're both amazing composers and I love them both, but they're just different people. You know what I mean? And so 
I, I know exactly what you were, you know, when we were talking before about, you know, this discussion of, you know, Jerry Goldsmith and, or excuse me, of John Williams rather, and, and who was going to fill his shoes essentially. That that's a difficult decision because you've got to go with somebody that, um. You know, I mean, you want to have somebody that has their own style and everything, but you don't want a style that's going to clash. And right. no, you're not going to want Hans Zimmer in a yeah, numbered, exactly. numbered Star Wars movie. And and like, okay, so I've been doing, oh God, for almost three years now. We just finished Clone Wars, J Guys and Jedi with with Hope. And whenever we do a synopsis, I've been using Kevin Kiner's Clone Wars music, which you know he's that's what he's doing for the clone wars music he's drawing heavily from this you know john williams um themes to the top you know up till episode two and maybe even yeah you know he's using stuff from from empire and stuff but they were using that in the prequels too so he has this whole palette to draw from <clears throat> and he has his own style so you know it's not just a pastiche of of Star Wars themes, but when it, even when it all goes together, it feels Star Warsy. It's never it doesn't have that John Williams. It, it's not John Williams, and uh, I worry about that because even if you're trying to simulate John, okay, say you're 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 doing Episode Ten or Twelve or whatever. And so you've got every theme, you know, you got your characters and you might have to come up with some new themes for some new stuff. But like you could come up with John Williamsy themes for it or what you would think are John Williamsy themes, but the problem with that is I don't know if that's possible because John Williams sort of while he is very recognizable, he does stuff a lot of the times that I wouldn't expect like um you know, if, if somebody else, would somebody else have come up with anything like Ray's theme, you know, like I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have thought of like a light little, um, flute melody as a, as a, you know, a, one of the Star Wars themes to, to work in there. <clears throat> but at the same time, it was perfect. Like that, and, and, and then I, st and this led me also to the, to the train of thought of, uh, how much do i mean we know we we all know how much star wars movies owe to john williams and how they would be just not as good movies without the john williams score in it how how much it enhances and and ties them together but absolutely and and it may and, it, and that started making me wonder like when um when I was doing a rewatch on Solo, and I liked Solo and Rogue One. I enjoyed both movies. But while I sat in the theater, I didn't go into that like, there's just a special mode of Star Wars watching. And like, I would say probably like a quarter of like, say Clone Wars episodes, I'll get into a semi Star Wars, you know, sort of fugue where I'm like, ooh, it's this is feeling Star Warsy, but basically every Star Wars movie, like I it you know, from from the minute it starts, I'm sort of in this special stage and it's not like pure nostalgia or anything like that. And I think more and more that that's due to the 
to John Williams. He's just, it's, it's almost like, and especially people like you and me who like sit and listen to the soundtracks and have listened to more, more so you with a, like, you have a much wider swath of soundtracks that, you know, that, that you're familiar with, but it's almost become, you know, like one of those things that informs your, your life in a way, you know, like right, I can think yeah. of John Williams music to go along with almost anything I'm doing at any time, you know, and often I do have it just sort of popping around in my head or I'll get it stuck in my head. Like somebody will get a, or like I'll get a stupid pop song stuck in my head. And, uh, man, it, it, it's, it makes me really worried about like, the ability to like make an effective Star Wars movie without him, and then I'm like, oh my god, he's eight thousand years old too. <laughs> but he's still doing soundtracks, and there's still like he's still ki- kind of evolving, and like I've noticed like his recent soundtracks in some good ways and some bad ways have a lot of similar elements. You know, there's some, there's stuff that he's got going in his head that are showing up in all his like really brassy. He likes really like sort of brassy accents a lot lately. I've noticed. But, yeah. Uh, it, it, and, and a lot of times that I go into the movies excited because I'm watching a Star Wars movie here comes a John Williams movie music but it usually is until the second viewing that I really like can pay attention to it because it just becomes part of the action you know that first time through when you're just absorbing it and that's that's amazing <laughs> and it doesn't happen very often with with soundtracks and people don't make soundtracks in the same fashion as John Williams much anymore either to the no I just saw Su- I just saw the 40 year 40 year re-release of Superman today and then and in the first 10 minutes I got brought to tears twice because of course you know it's the the intro with the with the kid in the comic book and you know out into space and the music it's the music and then just as I'm drawing my eyes from that like the the Krypton music starts <laughs> and it's just like I'm you know and I'm sitting in this movie theater 40 years later going it's just so goddamn majestic <laughs> ba, 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 yes the only thing that was wrong with this viewing of it is there were no kids at this one it was all like oh. adults I know I know the last time I saw it was on a father's day and most of the audience was kids and it was great they loved it and that Superman was another one that I had on my tablet that I've been listening to a lot lately yeah the part that always makes me think of you well there's a million parts of that movie that make me think of you because we used to just sit and listen to the the Mm. TV the recording you made of the TV version of it like over and over again but uh it's always it's always when he's racing the train that music that was always like when we'd be listening to the soundtrack it was always just like that one would always uh (laughs) you would just sit there and like start pumping your arms like you were running (laughs) love that score Mm -hmm. i love that score 
Well, that's one of the reasons I was so excited that the movie was coming back was I was hoping that, you know, a new generation of kids would, would discover, you know, the real Superman, you know, as opposed to, you know, the garbage that, that DC's been putting out the last few years and calling it Superman, but, oh, well. I, I mean, you know how many times I'm, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not like the huge Superman fan that like you and Mike Bailey and like Bob Fisher are, but I don't know how many times I've watched this movie and like, I'm never bored during it. You know, there's never, there right. was never a slow part to, for it. And every time I see it, I always think, oh yeah, this is like over two hours long. It's going to be a little slow. No, everything is like kind of, everything in the movie is kind of important to be, be there. There isn't really a lot of fat in it and it, and it just moves and it's entertaining from, from front Superman, to Superman, the movie, it, it's amazing that Mario Puzo had, had something to do with both, uh, Superman and the Godfather because Superman to me is much like the Godfather in that sense that when, you know when when maybe you're thinking about watching a movie or maybe you're flipping channels and uh you know say like godfather's just starting or something or you're flipping channels and superman's just starting there might be that natural tendency at first to be like ah you know this movie's three hours long i don't want to see you know I, I just don't have but then the next thing you know it's three hours later and you've watched the entire thing and it it just it moves and it mm -hmm. it's not boring or there really isn't you know and there's there's great swaths of both of those movies where it's not necessarily the most fascinating thing in the world happening on the screen yet you're sucked in you not know what i mean an awful lot happens in it you know it's a simple story it's like here's his origin lex luther's got a plan right that's it and and yeah. here's how he thwarts it that's it you know first meeting of superman and lex luther and every and like almost everything else is kind of character moments you know even the parts you know the the i mean the sequence where he like saves a helicopter and then he's like well what the hell i might as well just go and save the everything else in the rest of the city right you know so even that sequence is sort of a character study of him finally you know okay i'm gonna try this out you know and and start doing this and uh yeah there isn't a wasted moment in it and and people don't write movies like that much anymore you know every you know yeah. they would have a they would have little pieces of dialogue with just even like light light some of the light dialogue between otis miss teschmacher and lex luther that would just be you know just giving giving a little bit of information but most of it was kind of like light comedy but the 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 looks you know that they would give each other they would put a lot into each line and each thing so you know you know like the the whole thing of uh miss teschmacher having a crush on superman is mostly done without dialogue you know what i mean if it was done today they would pound it home but it's mostly just little looks by miss teschmacher and when she has to when luther summons her out she sort of comes out and gives a little look and is just like oh you know Here's that Superman, and she'd had a couple little comments before, but it was just, you know, little stuff, and it's not stuff you have to, like, you know, really be paying attention for, but it just, it colors it in without just hammering it home like bad writing usually does, and it's so refreshing to see right. that. <laughs>
And, you know, and, and that, that when you have a good cast and they get material like that, they can just work magic with it, you know? Right. Because I hated the comedy when I was a kid. I didn't I didn't want I didn't like that Luther had hair and that he was a kind of comedy character. And I love those scenes now. You know, I love the scene where, you know, they 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 can back in the old days of lax security for U.S. missiles. <laughs> Where they can just throw Miss Teschmacher on the road and everybody will run out in a circle around her. And and the top secret missile is basically just has two military trucks, like trucks, not like even like Humvee type things, but just like, yeah, just a like a pickup truck with a cloth cap over it, escorting it. And that's it. <laughs> and they can get stopped by Lex Luthor twice and not even notice it's him. And the, and oh, the little two, things two like... Conflicts, though. And then the second time when he pulls over with the house, you know, you see Otis, and Otis has a black eye. If, right. if that was a movie they made today, you would see Lex Luthor give Otis that black eye. But you don't, you know? It's, it's, it's funnier that, that he just... You just see it turn up. And it's not even a big shiner. He's just got a very natural-looking black eye. <laughs> oh, Ned! Every everybody's so great in that movie. It's, it's just, it's a joy. And I want, I would, I would, uh, I would tell everybody to go see it. But there's no way it's going to be gone by the time this comes out. <laughs> I think today was the first. That's weird. Did they do it because they're opening it on the same open, starting the anniversary celebration on because Sunday seems like a weird time to start it. No, because it came out. Um... I want to say Christmas Day, the year it came out. Seventy-eight. Yeah, exactly. That I remember it being like Christmas time. Yeah. So why start the four-day run on a Sunday? It's so weird. Here you go. Give <laughs> give them three three weekdays to go see it. Well, it's staggered too, so far as I'm aware. It's it's not consecutive days. Oh. I, I'm going on uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday night. But I, I, I want to say it's like it was like Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday or something like that. Sunday, Tuesday, Friday, so, something to that effect. It's so weird. And the theater we saw it in had maybe 50 seats in it. 50 of the big Barco loungers. Was it sold out? I don't think so. It was fairly full by the time you know That's the good. movie got going. All adults. I've noticed with these with these retro showings though for for movies like they you know the ones I've attended anyway they generally do pretty well. I don't I even mean, think they know, have to like sell out or anything because they're not like it's not like a big they're not having to strike a bunch of prints it's not a brand new movie it's just something you know I mean basically at movie theaters now it's like a download you know it's a digital file that they they have to show Oh, is so, that right? So it's oh yeah, almost almost un, unless some place is telling you that it's showing you 35 millimeter film, it's probably not anymore. And uh, but the digital projectors these days have all gotten to the level where it's it's fine, you know. Like the Fleischer one at first, right. I think the Fleischer one when they made it, like the first couple minutes of it looked like you were sort of watching TV blown up a little bit. 
But then as I was watching it, I was going, okay, that's more like film grain I'm seeing it. And I'm thinking maybe they had to, they like restored it, but they had to use several different sources. Because once it gets to where you're going down into his lair, and they you have You need that... to explain to the listeners what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. The, what is it? Like Superman versus the Mechanical Monsters? Is that the name yeah. of it? It's a yeah, Max, it's a... one of the Max Fleischer, Fleischer shorts from, yeah. what, like 32 or something like 40, that? E, e, yeah, something like that, yeah. And, uh... Would you, did you say 42 or 32? I can't remember. It's, it'd, be, it'd be early 40s, yeah. Early 40s? Yeah. And, uh... It's, I mean... Um... The, the, the colors and the, the animation style. Um, you know, I mean, Fleischer, Fleischer was, you know, he was, he, he was up there with Disney at his t- in that time. He was kind of a competitor in, in that world at that time. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. This amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the man of steel, Superman. Empowered with X-ray vision, possessing remarkable physical strength, Superman fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice, disguised as a mild-mannered newspaper reporter, Clark Kent. Oh, wow. According to this, that... That was released. The Mechanical Monsters was released on November 28th, 1941. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's pretty wild. Just like the Spielberg movie. What is that, 70... 77 years ago? Wow. Holy crap. That's pretty crazy to think about right there. And it's... It's great because it's... You know, it's classic old retro robots with with <laughs> slots in the you know s- slots in the opening slots in the back and dumping diamonds in it and stuff like that but there once they did the there's a tracking shot through the the mad scientist um evil underground lab that is just so gore it's kind of hellish colors you know it's underground it's all reds and oranges and you know your your stalagmites, and they did that process. I can't remember the name of the process where they would have different layers of panes of glass, so you could have have the different layers moving at different rates, so you get perspective. And uh, you know it's this long tracking shot, and I'm watching it going like this is a this is a piece of animation work right here. And like one of it, you can see they're smelting something, and it's strobing. It's just gorgeous. The, the beginning, I don't know if they've, um, they, just how much they cleaned it up and cleaned up, like, green screen wiggle and stuff like that, but, um, the movie aged, the, the super, the actual movie itself, like, the special effects were looking pretty, pretty good, pretty swell for, uh, even by today's standards, you know, they, they were obviously of their time, but... Um, better than I thought. So I think maybe they cleaned up some, because I remember seeing matte lines when I was a kid on some stuff. 
Right. But then again, I've seen so many altered versions of it that had scenes that were added on that weren't quite as finished as and stuff like that. So that could be all jumbled up in my memory. But yeah, just packed, packed with John Williams. And I and in a, in a month when we we're in the car, Scott reminded me it's like in a month and a half, we're going to be watching Jedi or not Jedi Empire with the orchestra. That's. Actually, I wish they would have shown it maybe in reverse. Actually, I would have liked to see Jedi, Star Wars, and then Empire to cap it off. Because I think Empire is going to be the the peak experience of seeing like a score, like the orchestra doing the score to a Star Wars movie. Right. I think that's like, you know, there's going to be parts of Jedi that I'm really looking forward to seeing, especially all the stuff with you know with the Emperor. And hearing that live is going to be great. But, but boy, oh boy, Empire. I might even sneak in my recorder. <laughs> Not that it'll, it, it will sound pretty much just like the movie, but I sort of want to prove that it, it sounds just like the... It's amazing how they have the mix. Because, the, the you know, the, the movie's just playing and the orchestra doesn't have amps or anything. They're just playing. I don't understand why those damn things are so expensive because I would love to go, but I'm not going to spend that kind of money to go. It's a, it's a lot of work to learn that, that whole score. Like, sure. I I mean, I understand that, but you know, make it, make it a little more reasonably priced. Why are they so expensive? Well, that's, that's the thing is, is they've had them here before they, uh, last night was ghostbusters with the, what's his (laughs) name? Leonard Burns or, um, not yeah. Leonard Bernstein. Is it Leonard Bernstein? Elmer. Elmer, Elmer Bernstein score, and uh, but that was like 150 bucks. Et yeah, Et, that. which is the one I they had uh, um, Raiders too, and they were both like, uh, I think Et was 175 and Raiders was 150. But, See, that's nuts. But we got all three. If I'm gonna spend that kind of money, I want John Williams to come to my house and conduct the goddamn music. Yeah, I don't. That, that just seems way, I mean, you know, I love well, these movies and everything, but, you know, it's it's not the Beatles, you know. It's, I'm, if, I'm not going to spend that kind of money to go to a, a, a live concert, you know. That's that's just silly to me. Well, well the, the, the only reason we're going to this one is we got a package deal on all three where it ended up costing less than $100 for the, you know, the whole original trilogy. Right. So, so I was like, I'm splurge, I'm splurging on that. Just, I wanted to see what it was like. And Star Wars, it was, pre- it's quite, it's awesome. That's all I got to say. It's like, multiple times where you're just gonna have goosebumps, like all down your arms, and ne- it's just beautiful, you know. Because of course we know every single second of music, so like. I'm right. sitting there like, are they going to get this right? You know? Ooh, this is coming up. Let's see if the... Uh, bam, you know, nailing it. It's amazing. And it's fun to watch the orchestra do it, too, you know? And you can go like, oh, there's going to be... You know, look over the harp. Something's happening over here. And it was a fun audience, too. It was definitely a... Definitely a very happy, friendly, nerdy audience. And... uh like an idiot, I should have had like uh, business cards or something to pass out because I probably could have passed out like 500 of them. 
Yeah, I, I hmm. my I would like to. I know I know Dave Atterbury's seen John Williams a few times, or at least at least a couple times. That would be on my bucket list. I'm really not thinking I'm ever going to get that chance, though. I can't imagine how much that would cost. <laughs> I mean, I would think you would have a better chance of catching, like, affordable performances of stuff like that because you're at Disney's Star Wars Ground Zero, you know? Probably where they record all those sound. They probably are recording all those soundtracks there, or maybe in California too. No, so. they do all that stuff in California, to yeah. the best of my knowledge. Yeah. But, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 you know, I try to keep an eye out for stuff like that. But the the last ones that came around, which I, I want to say, I want to say it was Empire. Was uh, they did one in you know for Empire in Orlando? I don't know a while back. It was within the within the past couple of years, and I, I saw it come around. But like I say, the the price to me was just yeah I don't know. It was just you know cost prohibitive. Well, yeah, and when I was saying ET was one hundred and seventy five dollars, that was on the start, you know. Right. That was like that was like in the nosebleed seats. <laughs> Not that there really are notes, but I saw I saw that Scott Rifen saw um, Force Awakens uh, with the with the orchestra, which mm. uh, th that would be interesting. But that's not a score that I have like so memorized that you know I'd like to know the score better before I saw saw that live. Right. But um, that means sitting through that movie though. See, that's the thing is, there's not a Star Wars movie that I can't enjoyably sit through still. Um, you know, even 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 Rogue One and and Solo are 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 like decent movies, but and and is something wrong with Ben Burt? Why hasn't Ben Burt been involved with either of the the last two Star Wars movies? How friggin' old is he? That could be it too. He could actually just be like for real retired. I don't know, man. Well, I that, think if you're, I mean, you know, he may may have moved. You know, he may have moved up in the. I'd like to think that, you know, he's he, he's moved up in the world from, you know, he he doesn't have to be out tapping on uh, guide wire lines at you know at at you know whatever he is seventy years no, old but... or whatever. But he could he's be the master, the, the master of the, of the sound people. mix, you know, the the basically I, like George Lucasing the sound mix or something. Right. Yeah, I was gonna, I was in the process of looking him up to see what he uh, was up to these days, if I could find anything on that, and that that's when our. I think I I think I nailed it because I'm trying to pull up the it's loading slayer. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, he was born. Yeah, he's seventy. I, I hit it right on the head. He's seventy this year. Okay, so he's younger than John Williams. <laughs> he, well, yeah, that's true. But it's I'm like, just, yeah, I'm wondering what what he's up to these days. But uh... well, I know he directed a, a couple episodes of Clone Wars. Did he? Yeah, in the Umbara arc. With that, with if, huh. if you've have you watched you've watched Clone Wars all the way through, right? Yeah. Remember yeah. that evil Jedi guy Krell with the four arms? Oh yeah. I think that was all Ben Burt. Huh. 
Or maybe he was associate. He he did something on it, but he it wasn't sound design. He got like a creative job on on that whole arc. I'm pretty sure he directed it. So that was in the fairly recent recent times. Well, I mean, he also you know was responsible for the whole sound on Wall E, and Wall E was just ten years ago. So I mean, you know, again, you know, if the dude's seventy, then maybe he's just not, you know. Yeah as prolific but oh then again it says here he's listed as sound designer on force awakens so oh he is okay yeah i didn't that's see that's his... according to wikipedia so <laughs> i don't i i i don't remember i don't i definitely don't remember seeing his name in uh last jedi He's also involved with that Forces of Destiny thing, whichever, whatever that is. I don't watch it. I think it's an animated. It is, like, and they're like something. They're like one-minute cartoons. They're very, they're, they're sort of like a more character-centric. Remember, um, when the the original Clone Wars cartoon, the Tar Tarkovsky one, when the the first season of it, each episode was like ninety seconds long or something like that, or two two and a half minutes or something like that. They're like that. Right. They're like that. They have a very like animated sort of style, and uh, although they're not like the Tarkovsky ones, which were like not really a lot of dialogue, they were just sort of like boom, 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 little action things. These are just sort of like mini little episodes, like you would see in maybe a Star Wars Tales or something. Yeah. You know, it I might have a I scene with one because wasn't there one somebody sent us. Uh... I don't know, they sent us a link or something. They were all excited that, that they thought that uh, that Jackson was in a was in a part yes. of it. Yes. Yeah. So I, I at least saw that one. And they're literally like a minute, minute and a half long. There was one on there was one on Endor with Leia and some and with Wicket. And that you know, the, I I I, the, I I think I saw that one. The one I definitely remember seeing is like the first one, which was like Ray. Fighting Ray and uh, and BB-8 fighting uh, like a sand creature or having like some little little meeting with a giant sand creature. Right. Where but the they're just they're just short little s snippet things, you know. Where's Jamesville, New York? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's where he's from. I don't know where that is though. Oh uh, well. It can't be that far away from me. <laughs> I, I I tend to think it's probably down near like the New York, New Jersey sort of yeah, area. Yeah, that's sounds what I'm thinking too. Like Jamestown or something. It sounds like it's like getting close to like Pennsylvania or something like that. Right. <laughs> well, we have uh, managed to meander all over the map with this episode. But I, I think it's, <laughs> it's been fun anyway. It's been an interesting talk. Well, what else did you want to... Was there anything closing thoughts or something you wanted to discuss we didn't get to talk about or anything like that? I can't think of anything. Like, I've been slacking. Like, I haven't watched the new the new um, season of Daredevil yet. I'm way behind oh, on yeah, all I, I, the Marvel TV shows. I never watched... I haven't watched yeah, The Punisher too. yet. So. I watched all of... I watched everything Marvel TV up through uh through the defenders but everything post the defenders I, I have not yet watched so i mean there's 
What did you like think one... of the defenders? A lot of people really seem to hate that. I've liked everything I've watched, you know, uh, Marvel TV, you know, to varying degrees. You know, you know, now I'm talking about, you know, just the the Netflix stuff, although I did watch right. most of Cloak and Dagger. I think I still have a couple episodes to go. Unfortunately, God, I forgot all about that. It's been so long since I was watching that. I probably have to go back and watch it back through just to remember what the hell was going on with it. But I was enjoying it. We we were actually watching that together as a family, and everybody was was digging it. So far as I am aware, I know Logan was really into it, but I, I don't know why. But for some reason, we slacked off and didn't didn't finish the season. But we we need to go back and do that because we were enjoying it. I thought it, I thought it was a little slow, but it was good. Which is kind of my problem with all of the the Marvel Netflix stuff as, as well. I've enjoyed all of it to varying degrees, but I just felt like some of it was a little slow. That was the biggest uh, complaint through everybody. Is there, like Most people are like, you know, the season could have been three episodes shorter, you know, on a lot of the Marvel shows. It's not even so much shorter, although I do agree with that with some of them. Um, I, I definitely felt that way with... Uh, with Iron Fist, Iron Fist kind yeah, of the that's... Punisher 2. Um, Luke Cage, I didn't... Now I'm talking strictly like season one on this because I haven't seen the new stuff, but like season one of Luke Cage, my biggest problem with that is that it, it should have ended where you feel like it should have ended, if you know what I mean. I mean. Anybody who's seen it probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. When when the bad guy gets defeated, because there's essentially there's like two bad guys. When the bad guy gets defeated... You know, the first one gets defeated. That should have been the end of the season, right there, boom. And it, and that would have been the perfect length. It was it was paced nicely, everything. But then it just keeps going, and it was it was that keeping going is where they. I don't want to say they lost me because I still really enjoyed it, but it was just. I, they I, they I, had I, to put they they should have stopped while they were ahead, basically. Yeah, I I think they I think. You know, because there's a new season that's out now, which again I have not seen, but I I feel like. You know the the continuation of the first season past the point where the first big bad is is taken care of, should have been another season. So basically, they should be on Luke Cage like season three, you know, and, and kept them short. I, I felt like that one could have been split into two. But anyway, um, I'm trying to remember what else was there? There was Iron Fist which I liked, but it spent too much time on characters I frankly didn't give a shit about and not near enough time with him just kicking ass. Um, I liked him. I liked Colleen Wing. Um, I liked a lot of the stuff they did, but the thing with the creepy twins and all that, I just got really sick of that, and that whole stupid resurrected father thing didn't, didn't really make any sense to me at all as far as like where is this going i don't care you know what i mean so there was just there was a lot of it time spent on you know on stuff that you know i, I felt was better served just jazzing up the action a bit more I, I understand a lot of that was taken care of with the second season which i'm anxious to see um and then the Defenders, the, the biggest problem I've got with the Defenders, I, I guess ultimately it was pretty forgettable because I don't even know what the hell happens in it now. I remember enjoying it while I was watching it, but now that I've seen it, I, I, I literally can't tell you anything that happened in it beyond them all hanging out in a diner in the beginning. 
Beyond that, I don't remember shit about it. They go down, <laughs> they go down into the underground and fight ninjas or some stupid thing. Right. I, don't, I don't even remember what that was about. So it, you know, it didn't, it didn't make that big of an impact on me. Whereas, you know, shit, it's the defenders. It should have been, you know, we should be still talking about it like the Avengers. You know, that that I, seems like the one that people were like bitching about the most. So the the one that they seemed to just like be like, nope, I did not like the defenders at all. And I'm I'm very curious about him because I'm just like Lockjaw. <laughs> Is Lockjaw any good in it? Well, that was that's the Inhumans. I, Inhumans. I, I didn't see oh, any of that. okay. Never mind. I'm getting all messed up. Yeah. Yeah. That that I did not see. That's the one. Everybody's just was pretty much been dumping on that. This is another thing. I've been noticing Brian Hughes is putting up our. Is there going to be a real like published? John Byrne X-Men story coming out or something? Is that what he's working on? Have no, you seen I... that artwork yet? No. There's all these fully, there's these like insanely beautifully penciled in pages of like X-Men stories that are set in the John Byrne era by John Byrne, but they're like little pocket well, I think stories. He's supposed to be, yeah, I think he's supposed to be coming back to doing X Men or something. Is yeah, because so, I, I did see something about that not long ago. But I'm not really. Yeah, just, ha I'm like hazy on it because I heard he was doing stuff just sort of on his own, just sort of for fun. But then somebody right. said there's going to be some official like. It, it sounds like he's going to do it the way he did his Star Trek stories, where it's like not going to be this intense storyline or anything. He's just going to do little little stories here and there in different in like in the past so but the artwork looks amazing i mean if if it had terry austin inking on it it would probably be indistinguishable from that from you know that that time period of x-men hmm so i'm a little excited about that interesting no, I've not seen anything on that. I, I heard something, you know, just rumblings or whatever about it, but it wasn't enough to really whet my appetite. I never, mm -hmm. you know, I was never into that. You know, as much as I love John Byrne, was never into his X Men stuff. It's the like I liked his I liked his X Men stuff a lot, but I mean, like his art was just so gorgeous at that time period. Right. And I can't remember. There was one yeah, other. I... There was one other thing I remembered. That I was going to mention to you, and now, of course, here at the very end, I can't remember what it is. But it was awesome. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> oh, I know what being... it was. I know what it was. I meant to post this and tag you on it because I don't know how you feel about the red letter media guys, the guy who do the the Mr. Plinkett reviews. But they're those, you know, they're those cynical, bas cynical, cynical bastards. They did a show that... on Star Trek, the motion picture. And I was like, oh, you know, and they've done a bunch of them sort of skewering all the Star Trek movies. It is a right. flat out top to bottom love letter. I mean, I watched it. I'm like, oh, my God, these cynical bastards are saying everything that you and I have been saying for years. And, and... what's funny is 
Back when we were doing Star Wars Monthly Monday on a regular basis, I remember on a couple of different occasions you mentioning this and trying to get me to watch them, and I was just like, nah, I don't care to watch that. And then at some point along the way in the past, I don't know, a couple of years or whatever, that kind of fell in my lap, and I fell down that rabbit hole to a point where I actually went and watched all of his videos, even the ones that were stupid, like Baby's Day Out and shit. <laughs> right, right. Just because I liked, the, I liked the prequel ones that he did so much, and those things are mammoth. There's that one that's like, what is it, like three There's hours of movies. Long. Yeah, they're like yeah, two but, hours I mean, and it was 30 minutes long. Really, very entertaining um but this this motion you know story, motion picture one must be new because i've watched everything that they had up on their site and and didn't see that so i, well, I have to hit that out it's not one like those those ones i think they don't make those as much as they used to because they're a lot yeah. of labor intensive this is just uh the main the the main two guys and I think another one of their... They have this other guy that comes shows up... Or maybe it's two other guys. They have these two other guys that show up from Canada. And I think they're on there too. And they're just they're just sitting around talking about it. And, you know, showing scenes from the movie and stuff. But, um, you know, I was like, oh, geez, they're going to be all over this. And it just made, it just cracked me up because they're, they, they're, you know, I don't think they hate, they love all those movies. That's why they're doing the videos on them, but they know they like to make fun of them, but they just let, you know, you see these guys. And I think a lot of times these cynical bastards who I'm one of them, a lot of the times they're cynical, but that's not just because they hate everything. It's because nothing rises to the occasion of inspiration to them like like they think it should. So right. when something like Star Trek, you know, the motion picture comes out, you know, I mean, the guys, you know, right out in the beginning, they're like, this is what Star Trek is all about, blah, blah, blah. This is why this is like probably the most majestic, you know, Star Trek movie, you know, statement of Star Trek. It's. Uh, but I highly recommend it. It's it's a it's really good. I think it's only like forty minutes long, or so. But it's you know they 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 have some laughs over Disco McCoy and stuff. But it it had they have some really good insights. The one main guy, you can tell, really likes his Star Trek, to the point of where he might even like hold back on it a little bit because he's afraid that people will know to what extent he nerds out over, you know, Star Trek. So, yeah, I was going to tag you in on that and go, look at these cynical bastards, man. <laughs> well, Plinkett, as I recall, in, in a couple of his reviews, um, touched on the motion picture and, and said some really nice and, and you know glowing things about it, as, as I seem to recall. So I always thought that was pretty cool that, you know, here he is, you know, gaining this reputation as hating everything and ripping everything, but then, you know, but really, not really appreciates. Yeah. Well, that's and because that people. Fo cool. Hey, you know how that is. People focus on the negative things. You say way, way, way out yep. of proportion to the positive things. I mean, yep. Really, like, I would say, you know, we say some neg. You know, we have we have our things that we gripe about on the show. But odds are, if we're griping about something, it's one of probably like three or four things. And we've probably talked about 10 things that we loved, you know, before we got to the thing we hate, you know. But the right. thing we hate is what, that, you know, that's what pe people love that, that. 
I don't know, scandal or just, you know, the, the passion from anger. <laughs> right. Yeah, but I, I don't like ulcers, so sorry, guys. <laughs> if we ever get the get off my lawn show, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give you some hate there. Dude, I want to do that show so bad. I've so got bad. the titles all <laughs> ready for it. <laughs> Listen, old man, you don't want to fuck with me. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Rick, have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? Yeah. Yeah, well, here I am, the customer. You have to order something from the lunch menu. I don't want lunch. I want breakfast. Yeah, well, hey, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Hey, I'm really sorry, too. Fucking gun! So, you listen to me. Listen to me. Television is not the truth. Television is a goddamn amusement park. Television is a circus, a carnival, a traveling troupe of acrobats, storytellers, dancers, singers, jugglers, sideshow freaks, lion tamers, and football players. We're in the boredom-killing business. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. How could somebody misfile something? What could be easier? It's all alphabetical. You just put it in the right file according to alphabetical order. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Huh? That's all you have to do. I never misfiled anything. Not once, not one time! Are you fucking crazy? Go back in the house. Yeah, I blow a hole in your face and then I go in the house. And I sleep like a baby. You can count on that. We used to stack fucks like you five feet high in Korea. Use you for sandbags. Thank you. Get off my lawn. Clint Eastwood, it's got everybody. It's got Clint Eastwood, it's got Nick Cage, it's got Michael Douglas, everybody who freaks out in a movie. Because <laughs> I, I know, you know, I know it's something that you don't deal with in, in your daily life, but uh, the the thing that set me off again the other day, and I was thinking, man, I we really need to do the Get Off My Lawn show so bad is... Uh, Going to the gas station. Now, we have we have a place here. I don't think you guys have them up north. It's called Wawa, which is the stupidest name for a gas station ever. But as gas stations go, they're actually pretty cool because they're, they're you know, they have like a little you know, deli inside, you know, where they make, you know. I was going to say a feeding and, station. Yeah. 
and you know the price are bad the people are generally you know good looking and friendly and you know that sort of so i mean as as gas stations go it ain't so bad but they have the most annoying shit on the actual gas so there's this new thing that's developed in the past oh i don't know 10 years or so at gas stations where you have gas station tv yes i hate that yes and and this is the thing that's developed over time i think it started with walmart i i think i could be wrong but anyway so now you pull up to the gas pump and from the minute you get out of your vehicle it got a bark at you you know and it's at first it was semi-informational you know it'd be it'd be literally a tv would be playing that would start when when it detected there was somebody standing there right and i can remember the earliest ones especially at walmart when the when the the gas station tv would come on it had a mute function like if you just didn't want to listen to this damn thing you could not not only mute it, but i think you could turn it off i could be wrong about that but at the very least you could mute it and most gas stations, that other gas stations that I go to that aren't Wawa, have a mute function to where you can just tell it, shut up, I don't want to hear you. But with Wawa, you go there, and most of the Wawas I've been to, they don't have a screen, they just play music. And it is the most obnoxious, shitty, modern pop crap that you possibly... You know, that you could possibly dig up. It's just the worst of the worst. Like of you'd modern- rather hear elevator music than that. Yeah, it's it's horrible. And there is no way to mute this crap. And so finally it got to the point where I, I actually Googled it. I looked it up. And you, you ever go into Google something and you type like three letters and it instantly knows what you're looking for? Yes. And I, and I had this happen. I started, I don't even remember what I typed in. It was something about mute, and I think it came right up. How to mute Wawa. And I'm like, damn. So I go and I look it up, and it says, here's the secret button to hit, and, and you can mute, you know, the, these gas pumps. So then it was like a week later when I needed gas again. I went to the gas pump. Well, that doesn't work. And I tried it on several different pumps, and it doesn't work. So I don't know if there really is a way that you can mute it or not. But so now... You know, you have no choice. You go, yeah. and you just have to suffer for, you know, however long it takes to fill your gas tank. Listen to this obnoxious shit that you cannot... And that's the thing hurt. is, it ain't really that long that you have to put up with it, but it's just the fact that every goddamn place you go, you know, it's right, got... It's, it's like, oh, look, you're standing still for a second. Listen to this, you know, or it's, watch it's this not- ad. It's not even that. It's, I mean, that, yes, that's definitely part of it. But the problem is, if it was an ad, that'd be one thing. Yes, it'd be annoying, but it's just an ad. You know, I, I can I can tone it. I can, you know, not really pay attention it to it. Yeah. I can forget about it 20 seconds later. But the problem is, nine times out of ten, it, it's not the ad that's telling you, hey, we have drinks for a dollar. It's some shitty pop song that then it gets stuck in your friggin' head for like a week. Yep. You know? It's just the most annoying shit in the world, and I, I hate that. And it's got to the point now where I will actively avoid going there. I will actually spend more money going across the street to their more expensive competitor that's not near as clean and friendly and everything else just because their pumps are ancient 
You and should write them an angry letter and tell them shit, that. You know, maybe they'll maybe they'll get. Because I'll bet you that in the TV, I'll bet you it's the result of some douchebag entrepreneur who comes to the gas station and goes, "Look, you know, you put our." put our system at where we're someplace where you're guaranteed someone's got to be standing there and hey they see a screen they'll watch it you know you put their ad on there and you know you you know we'll pay you this much rent to like play our crappy piped in music or cra crappy piped in ad or whatever you know gas station tv and they go okay you know okay you're gonna get we'll get money for it okay but if it's driving away and dude if if it comes up on a Google search like that, there's everybody and their mothers like how do how the hell do I stop Jane? How do I stop this crazy thing? <laughs> right. I don't I don't drive a car. I ride in cars and that shit annoys me. When I get out, it's just like you know you get out of the car and all of a sudden there's an ad looking at you and it's like um oh what was that shitty well was it I did, I thought it was a pretty good movie the Tom Cruise um. Minority Report. It's like Minority, Minority Report, Report, you know? Yeah. It's just like everywhere you go, it's like getting flashed in your face. It's getting to that point, yeah. yeah. And it's it's annoying. I mean, there's, there's, you know, if if I can't have 30 seconds peace and quiet pumping my friggin' gas, you know, <laughs> where have I got to go, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Up on the side of some mountain somewhere, you yeah, know? Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's ridiculous. I was I was just thinking like like when when you were like I can't turn the Wawa off I was thinking it was one of those the video screen ones and I'm like oh I know how to turn those off it's called duct tape <laughs> right yeah you just get out and go <laughs> and put that right over it and there you go there you go <laughs> you know I wish that they I I wish tech wasn't quite as sophisticated as it is now and and the audio for these things was coming through like an old-fashioned like speaker system like we used to have at the drive-in theater because that you then could just would, close in your door just, and drive away with yeah i would i would actually risk calling the cops by just tearing the fucking thing off and throwing it in the trash you know what i mean <laughs> but it's 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 all integrated you know it's it's a little speaker that's actually part of the yeah. gas pump so i mean the, the most you can the most you can do is maybe put your hand over or sometimes what I'll do is that, you know, I've, I've taken my credit card out for the payment portion. So I'll put my credit card over the little speaker thing, which kind of sort of works. But then the problem is, is you've got 20 other pumps playing the same yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. So there's no escape. Even well, if that's you a can... problem. And if you mess with a gas pump, you're probably going to end up having like you know the fire extinguishers go off on you or something you know something like that it's probably a federal <laughs> right. offense or something <laughs> it's ridiculous it's no it isn't it, it's goddamn ridiculous it, it is completely goddamn ridiculous well there you but go that's guys the sort of thing i want to do that i want to do get off my lawn for is the little stupid ass things that that just annoy you know and I, there's not a there's not a week that goes by that I don't think of a new one that could be a whole episode. I know, and wouldn't Everything you think there'd be me? other podcasters who'd be lining up to do guest episodes of that? You know, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to do it then. Give the people what they want. They, that's all they want, anyways. They want to listen to me bitch about Bitching things. And so there you go. Yep. Well, good. We gave them five, you know, five, we gave them five minutes at the end. See, we gave an hour and a half positive content and then five minutes of bitching at the end. And it was bitching of something that I think we can all get behind. 
and that's 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 what'll that's what'll come out of this. But you know, I you know, I worked so hard when we were on two true, you know, when we were putting out regular episodes a while back. I worked so hard to to turn that what I what I considered a misperception of me around uh, the negativity thing. So like the last year that we were doing regular weekly episodes, I was completely positive. Didn't I didn't do the bitching and complaining thing anymore. Never heard a peep about it. You know? Well, you do one episode where, where you complain about something and that's... I, that's... I think it was because our first thing that we trashed was The Dark Knight. And, and, the, and I think... Like when we trashed the Dark Knight, a lot of people were like, "Oh, these guys are just gonna hate on things that everybody likes," but it wasn't true. We just yep. happened not to be big fans of the Dark Knight, you know, and we're like, "What the hell? Why does everybody like this?" But I don't think we're consistently like that. I think we have a lot of a lot of things that we like, but it turns out like, and maybe not as much with the Dark Knight, but with a lot of other other things. Most of the stuff, it wasn't usually stuff that we turned out not liking and that people would eventually agree with. I mean, I think for the most part, we've mostly been champions of things that other people didn't like, that we liked. (laughs) That we were like, you know, this needs some love and that like, like Star Trek, the motion picture where it's starting to get recognized now. Right. Our, our, our keen and un unbreakable and um insight and intelligence is always proven right in the long term yeah right i I, yeah i have i have noticed um you know more people that do seem to to feel you know more in, in line with things that we said in that episode but yeah, if I could take it back, I would just because I, I it, it became something of a of a millstone. You know what I mean? I regret nothing.
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Hunting. No!